saw a post this weekend in, uh, in a worship leader's group that I'm in, and uh, somebody posted and said, decided not to sing this on Sunday, breathe on me, breath of God. And somebody else said, what about give us clean hands? It would be a great song to sing. <laughs> somebody else said, glad we're not singing the song, God holds the germ in his hand. And then somebody else said, we're singing Hide Me Away, O Lord, for real. And somebody else said, we sang this song on Wednesday night, and I said, uh, uh, the, the, breathe on me, breath of God. And I said, God could breathe on me, but I don't want the rest of you breathing on me. And then somebody else said, what about he touched me, or breath of heaven. And then, <laughs> this one was terrible, but they said, from it as well, the trump shall resound. Oh, man, we are in an interesting time, aren't we? Um, I, I, I'm thankful for... I, I wanted you to lead that song for a couple of reasons. Number one, I wanted us to sing it again. But number two, I think it's helpful and a, a good reminder that after all the things that happen, you didn't leave us for a moment. That's a powerful message that we need to remember and if, if singing that song this morning gets that thought stuck in your head this week, then may it be so. We're continuing our series in Luke. And uh, as I was studying and thinking about this week, I heard about um, a secretary at, sc- at a school, at an elementary school, where she would come in at the beginning of the, the school year into the classes. And she would come into the kindergartner's classes and she would, she would walk in and, and announce, I'll take anybody's lunch money. If you have lunch money for me, bring it to me. And, and for two days, the secretary came in and announced, does anybody have any lunch money for me? And nobody responded. Well, on the third day, one little boy came in at the bell and walked hesitantly to the teacher's desk, held out his hand and whispered, here's lunch money from the piggy bank for the poor lady who nobody gives money to. To be like a child, to think, to act, to trust and give like a child, that trusting big thinking is the kind of thinking that we are going to need to get through our passage for today. We're going to be in Luke 18, and we're going to begin in verse uh, 15. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to... This is not the right passage. That is not what I wanted. Um, and I don't have my... Hold on. You got it? Sorry about that. I was going, this is not what I was, okay. Yeah, that's next week or something. Um, There we go, whoa, all right. All right, so Luke 18, 
verse 18. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And then he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. May the Lord bless the hearing of his word. I apologize. This is, this is a tough passage. In the context of the rest of the, uh, chapter 18, which we looked at the first part of last week with this persistent widow who was on the out, outside edges of society. She goes and, and pleads her case to a judge who doesn't care. And then if you look back all the way through our journey through Luke, Luke is constantly bringing out the fact that the widows and the orphans and those who are on the edges of society who don't have a voice are given a voice in the kingdom of God. If you remember Luke 6, where we looked at the blessings and the woes and blessings or the kingdom of God's... God's, God's reign and availability was more present to the widows and the orphans and the poor and the sick and those who are in need than it is for those who are self-sufficient. Which is meant to be good news. It's meant to be good news to all people. The problem is for many of those who are rich and self-sufficient, it may or may not be good news. So the struggle is, what exactly is good news? What does it look like? For some, it may be money. I mean, I don't know many people, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm gonna be, I don't know anybody that would not say that they would like just a little more. And we talk a good game at being content. And mo- but most of us wouldn't turn down just, just a touch. Just a, t- just a little. I'll be, just a little more and I'll be okay. But the problem is, as soon as we get a little more, then we're like, just a little more? Mary J. Blige, singer, songwriter, and actor, said, My God is a God who wants me to have things. He wants me to bling. He wants me to be the hottest thing on the block. Yikes. 
Here's my struggle, though. That's a powerful image of how money can take hold of us and become the end-all, be-all of our entire existence. The problem is, that can be really easy for us to look down our noses or point our finger at someone who has more than most of us could imagine and make glancing blows. But my intention for us is not to point at her, but to look in the mirror. Because it would be really easy to point our finger elsewhere. But I'm pretty sure that Jesus wasn't just talking to her. But He's there with His disciples. And they heard Him say these things. My challenge for us this morning is not to find other people in this passage. Rather, the challenge for us is to find ourselves here. It's easy to look at what we do, who we are, and what we have in comparison to others. But if we truly have an encounter with Jesus, it's going to get personal. And I mean like in your business personal, like somebody finding your junior high journal and reading it personal. Many of us get caught up in the little things, and we get so enamored with the little things that it's hard to see the bigger picture. We get caught up in trying to prove that Jesus wasn't saying what he, what he said, or that the eye of a needle really wasn't that, that it was, you know, some other gate that a camel had to, I, I'm sure you've heard this argument, that there was some other gate that in order for a camel to go through, they had to get down on their knees, and they had to humble themselves, and all that mess. The problem is, there's no good historical evidence for that being any part of a city wall in the times of Jesus. But it makes it easy for us to explain away the difficult statements that Jesus made. And we do it in order to ignore our own struggles with what it means to walk with Jesus. For this man, this rich ruler, this man who had everything, he had also done everything right. He goes, what what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, follow the commands. And he goes, all these things I've done. He had big thoughts about himself and his own right actions. And he was asking Jesus probably so that he could feel better about himself. But Jesus being who he was and who he is, was able to see past all that that everyone else saw and got this man to actually examine his own heart. Instead of saying, look at how good this man is, he's followed all the commandments, he's followed the law. He's justified and he is right. And so he will enter the kingdom of God. But that's not what Jesus does. But I also want to challenge this because this passage isn't really about money either. 
This passage is a, a asking us to examine and look in the mirror and ask the question, what do we value more than God? Is it safety? Is it security? Financial well-being? Sex? Is it a certain way of life? Is it all those sins? Uh, is, it, is it all those who struggle with the sins that I don't that make me feel secure? That make me feel good about where I am? Is it food? Or for goodness sake, is it toilet paper? What about personal health? I mean, we, we trust in all these things, right? And, and we value them because they are an important part of our lives. But are we so cavalier as to think that we are more important or better than others who were also created in the image of God? If none of that messed with you or stepped on your toes a little bit, let's get a little more personal. Do you value your kids more? than God? Do you value your spouse more than God? Or your parents? That's the question that Jesus is ultimately asking us to look in the mirror and dig deep and actually wrestle with. And it's really easy to slough it off and say, I'm not rich, so that's not a question for me. Or I'm not as rich as somebody. And so that's not the issue. But the problem is that Jesus could have done that with any of us and read us like a little baby's book. I am Sam, yes I am. Thanks, Miss Tony, for getting that, that book stuck in my head for the last two weeks since I came and read that for you. Um... But I am Sam, yes I am, I love green eggs and ham, whatever. I mean, right, so, but it's really easy to read that book and to memorize it. That's the way Jesus read this man's heart. And the problem is, it's not just that man's heart, but he reads all of our hearts. And he knows what we have and what we struggle to value more or less than God. But we have to begin to think bigger than that, to be able and willing to, to make long-term investments. What, what better investment than to begin now with walking, begin walking with Jesus now and to think beyond what is right in front of us? I want to ask you a question. Some of you may know this, some of you may not. Anybody know what this number is called? There's a hint on the screen too, but anybody? Nobody? This is the number Google. It's, it's, this is what Google looks like written out. It's the number one with a hundred zeros behind it. Now, what's interesting about this number 
as it was created back in the 40s, if I remember correctly, by a man who was trying to help people grapple with the unimaginable. It was, it was meant to like, help you think, and, and it was even put in comparison to infinity. Like you have Google, and then you have infinity. And so as Larry Page and Sergey Brin, both math enthusiasts, created what is now known as Google, spelled G-O-O-G-L-E. By the way, that's the correct spelling of Google, the number, but they misspelled it when they typed it in and it stuck. Um, they imagined great possibilities when it came to incorporating the, their search engine in 1998. And it's become the most widely used and most accessible search engine available. In fact, it, oh, it more than triples the next most used search engine's uh, use. <laughs> Whatever, you get me. Like, Yahoo is like 5.4 billion users and Google was like 15, over 15 billion searches. It is the most unimaginable search engine that we have. But they, they thought on such a grand scale that they named their own search engine after a number that was unimaginable. So, my question for you is, what if what if we lived like we were going after that which is unimaginable? What if we actually lived like we believed what Jesus said? What, what if, what, like, that it won't be by anything that you do that will get you into the kingdom of God? It won't be by anything that you accomplish that will make you good enough for the kingdom of God. It is impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Period. That's the point of, that, of what he says there. He's not trying to make you think that all you have to do is humble yourself and then you'll be available to the kingdom of God. Because you won't do it. It's, and, and that puts it back on you. That it's about what you do that makes you available or good enough to be in the kingdom of God. But what Jesus says, it's not about what you do. I don't care how humble, how good, how right you think you are. You will never be good enough for the kingdom of God without God. To suggest that we think that we can do something to be good enough for the kingdom of God is to not understand Jesus' teaching. But the God who sent Jesus to bring His kingdom and His reign to us is the God who can save. Not you, not your wealth, not your family, not your goodness. It is Christ crucified and raised again that can do Google, the unimaginable. That can do what is not possible. Even save the person that you don't want to be saved. 
So what's keeping you from trusting God? What's more valuable to you than God? That is the question that we have to ask. What keeps you from fully putting your faith in and trusting Him? The reality is this man could keep all the commandments except the first one. You shall have no other gods before me. He had made his money his God. And when he was asked to give it up, he couldn't do it. For you it may not be money. But what do you struggle with putting before God? It's an idol. And the reality is that we all have idols. You know why I know? Because you have sin. And if you have sin, you have an idolatry problem. It's what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. It's what Jesus says here in Luke 18. But those idols are the very thing that Jesus points to that even if we keep all the other commandments like this rich man that had everything to lose and he just couldn't do it. And he walked away. It was his choice, not Jesus's. So Jesus gives us reason for pause in this passage. Just when we think we have God figured out that we know just what to do, we recognize that it is not about what we do, but it is about who God is and what He is willing to do to bring His kingdom into our lives. Salvation truly does belong to our God. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy to, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, authority through Jesus to all generations throughout all ages both now and forevermore be the glory. Amen, church? Let's stand and sing.